The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Hello and welcome inside another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Once again, I am the namesake. Happy to have you with us once again this week. Hard to believe the season is over. We'll recap the Super 6. We'll take a look at last week's poll question. We'll check the mailbag and we'll get to the top five stories of the 2019 high school football campaign. Of course, this is a podcast about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. Glad to have you with us for the 19th episode of the season. Before we get started with this one, I want to go ahead and make an announcement. I already posted this on Facebook, but if you haven't checked our Facebook page or you don't check our Facebook page, this will be news to you. I have previously announced this will be the finale of this season. It will not be the finale of this season. When looking at the planning and the logistics of this week's episode, I realized there were a lot of things that I still wanted to talk about. I didn't want to put out an hour-long season finale episode, so I can break it into two weeks. So I'll talk about the things that I mentioned and the subjects that we mentioned earlier in the program this week. Then we'll talk about some other things next week. Next week's show is going to have the top five storylines going into 20 2020, and I'll run that segment with Garrett Furr. I mentioned that last week. Uh, he and I have a special request that we'd like to see. So I'll run that segment next week along with those top five storylines of 2020 because the more I got to thinking about it, I looked at the top five stories at the end of this season, and then I thought, well, there are just as many intriguing things going into next season. Either way, there was just too much to take on this week, and I thought, well, why do it all at once? Let's split it up into next week's show. So again, that mailbag that we talked about, if you have a question you'd like me to take on, that mailbag remains open for one more week. So let me know, message the show, or message me, get a hold of me somehow, or post it on Facebook, and your question will be addressed on next week's program. So again, next week, the season finale, this week, the penultimate episode, the new penultimate episode of season 2019. I know that's kind of ridiculous, but made an executive call. It's what happens when your name's on the show. The Super 6 is finished, as we said. The games were about what we expected them to be. The Class AA game was pretty close. The AAA game was a runaway, though not quite as quickly as we might have expected that to be. And the Class A game was was one of the more competitive games of the three. Let's go in chronological order. The Class AA game might have been the best game of the weekend. Bridgeport won the title without throwing a single pass in the title game. They defeated Bluefield 21-14. They ran for 269 yards on 62 carries. Carson Winkie, the MVP for Bridgeport, 43 carries, 200 yards, and all three of the Indians' touchdowns. I gotta admit, 43 carries kind of rubs me the wrong way. I know that that's a lot of wear and tear on a running back, though it is a state championship game. You'd like to see somebody come in and spread the ball around a little bit if for no other reason to take some wear and tear off of that one player. But sometimes in a state title game, you got to ride the hot hand, and that's what Winky was. This is a Bridgeport team that won time of possession 32 minutes to 16 minutes. 2-1 to one in this game, and that's how you can slow down a good offense like what Bluefield has. That's what teams have tried to do against Martinsburg and that have been unable to do, but Bridgeport was able to do that to Bluefield to get the win there and the Class AA title game. Uh, they'll be a fun addition to Class AAA. Bridgeport comes up in class next season, and they are likely going to be an immediate contender unless they lose everybody off that team. As it stands right now, that team is probably in the top eight of Class AAA. This year's team would be in the top eight of Class AAA, and you might make an argument they could crack the top five. So they will be a better than average addition to Class AAA. It'll be hard for them to win championships, of course, with Martinsburg continuing their dominance, but they'll be an immediate contender 
and one of the better teams, so they're poised to make deep runs in the state playoffs. For Bluefield, again, it's another year where that program is among the best in the state, and there's so much football talent down in that area. That is a hotbed right now. That's southern West Virginia, part southeastern West Virginia, basically the coal fields, and Bluefield tends to get a lot of that and, and does the most with it. But Bridgeport completes their Class AA run with another state championship. In Class AAA, nothing was really too much of a surprise, although it was a bit of a surprise how long it took Martinsburg to pull away from Cabell Midland. Martinsburg continued their dominance. They won their fourth straight state championship, their 56th straight win, and it came over Campbell Midland in the state final. The Bulldogs scored twice in the first 26 seconds of the state title game against Cabell Midland, and then Cabell Midland had a couple long, time-consuming drives, and that tied the game at 14. But Cabell Midland fell victim to the quick-strike wrath of Martinsburg. Martinsburg scored five touchdowns in the final 316 of the first half. Five touchdowns in less than four minutes. So with four minutes to go until the half, this game was tied, and then Martinsburg ran away with things. 49-14 was the lead at the half. They ended up winning 49-21. One. Elijah Banks had five touchdown passes for Martinsburg. Gerard Bowie caught three of those and ended up with 187 yards and an interception. A big day and a big postseason, really, for Bowie because he had a monster day in the semifinals. 56 straight wins for Martinsburg. That is the second longest streak in the country. A lot of people have asked me this question can they be beaten? A lot of people have asked me about them because they know I've seen them against South a couple weeks ago. They will be beaten eventually, but it's going to be a major deal when it happens. As I said last week, the folks in Martinsburg tell me that they just had their best freshman team maybe ever. So the cupboard is far from bare in Martinsburg. And I would venture to say that when it happens, it's not going to be an in-state team that manages to beat them. Either way, it's going to be a big deal. I said it on last week's show, somebody can do what Martinsburg does. And it's interesting, we just talked about Bridgeport going up to Class AAA, not throwing a single pass. That's going to be the kind of team, I think, that ends up knocking off Martinsburg. It's going to have to be a team that might not be blessed with speed, because Martinsburg is blessed with speed tenfold what anybody else has in the state. Not just the quantity, but the quality of the speed. They have faster players than most others, and that's not something you can coach, and they have more fast guys than the others. So it's going to take a good ball control offense, it's going to take a strong running game, and you're going to have to be fundamentally sound up front. And I know the way I'm describing is not maybe the sexiest way to win a football game, but that's what you're going to have to do. It's going to have to be a program that comes along, not a team, a program that's built solidly from top to bottom, they block up front, and they have a lot of good running options. Maybe not the fastest running backs, but good running options that can take advantage of lanes. And they'll also need to be able to throw the ball a little bit, at least enough to keep defenses honest. Not saying that Bridgeport is the heir apparent or Bridgeport can step up and do what Martinsburg's doing, but someone else can follow that template. There are some very elementary things in the template that don't rely on speed. You have to have a good head coach. Dave Walker has proven to be one of the best in the state. You have to have total buy-in from the youth level all the way up, and you have to have a good support staff. And that template can be built, but it takes time. And that's another part of the problem, is that we're in a society now where we don't often want to invest the kind of time that it will need, or we don't want to wait as long as it might take for something like that to come to fruition. Especially when you look at higher levels, teams get better quicker than ever before in college and the pros. Look at Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. He's going to lead his second team to the college football playoff this season after transferring from Alabama, so Hurts has been a big name at both schools. It seems like the transfer rules in college have been loosened a lot, and you can jump from team to team, and people are getting transfers more often than they used to 
and getting impact transfers more often than they used to from other schools. In the NFL especially, but really at all levels of Major League Sports, it's easier to have a quick rebuild. Maybe not so much in baseball, but definitely in the NBA, definitely in the NFL. It's quick to rebuild and go from worst to first in not a lot of time as long as you've got an infrastructure in place and are willing to commit to a plan. So whereas it's become quicker at some of those sports and some of those levels, the exact opposite is true in high school. It might take a lot longer, and I think you've got to have a couple full classes come through. I think to really build a program, you've got to build that. I don't know that it can be done in too much less than a decade, to be quite honest, to do quite what Martinsburg has done. I think I said this on last week's show as well. You have to have that staff where you want it. You have to have the feeder programs pumping out the the talent that you want, and with your terminology and your playbook, you have to find a system that works. There's a lot that needs to be done. It takes a while. It's not a game for the weak-minded. It's not a game for the weak of stomach, the weak of heart. It takes a while to do it, but if you get the right buy-in from all the right people, big things can and will happen. Somebody will do what Martinsburg's done. It might take a while. It might also take a while for somebody to unseat Martinsburg, but you know, all good things come to an end. But until it does, hey, you got to give credit to the Kings and raise your glass to those at the top. Martinsburg continues their dominance with their 56th straight win in their fourth straight class AAA state championship. And in the Class A game, Wheeling Central completes their improbable run with a win over Doddridge County, defeating the Bulldogs 38-21 to in the title game. 38 points, by the way, more than Wheeling Central scored in their first two playoff wins combined. This is a team that was almost bounced in the first round of Tulsa. Those teams traded touchdowns, and if it wasn't for a score with less than 10 seconds left, Wheeling Central's done the first weekend. This might be Mike Young's greatest coaching job ever at Wheeling Central. Of course, they lost Curtis McGee, their quarterback, with three games left in the regular season. Jacob Ryan stepped in to pilot the ship for Mike Young and did more than an admirable job at that. He was 13 of 18 in the state title game, throwing the ball for 214 yards. That included four touchdown passes as Wheeling Central completed a 9-4 and season, but they win a state championship as a number 10 seed with their ninth win coming in the state title game. And they earned it. You cannot take that away from them. So they took a great defensive effort in the first couple weeks and they rode that the whole way as that offense finally started clicking. Speaking of offense, Doddridge County needed a superhuman effort from Hunter America and didn't get one. He did throw a touchdown pass in the fourth quarter of the state title game, but America didn't run for a score. 19 carries, 126 yards on the ground for Hunter America. For a Doddridge County team that ran for just 157 yards, for Doddridge County to win that game, I think they really needed to get up in the 250s to 300s. Though they can throw the ball, they need to dominate people up front, and they need to dominate people on the ground to do that. They needed a superhuman effort from Hunter America, didn't get one, as I think America found the sledding a little tough deep in the postseason. That's because the teams you face deep in the postseason are good teams. Look at Williamstown in the semifinals the week before. They held Hunter America to just 68 yards on 30 carries, though he did have a couple touchdown runs in that game. So he was very human at a time where they needed him to rise to the occasion to be superhuman. Not saying the whole thing was on Hunter America, but either way, for somebody we heard so much about, he just didn't have it at the time of the year where his team needed him the most. Brings his career to an end at the high school level. You really have to hand it to Mike Young at Wheeling Central. What a season. What a way to cap the high school football season with maybe his best coaching job ever in a state championship for the Maroon Knights.
Let's go ahead and take a look at last week's poll question. We asked you, in your opinion, was this a good high school football season? Why or why not? And I said, if possible, please base us on something other than, yeah, my team was awesome. So hopefully people did that. But we had 23 votes in the question. In your opinion, was this a good high school football season? Why or why not? Of the 23 votes, 78% of you said yes. 22 said no. We had three comments, and I'll read those. Butch Mount said the season was competitive. Let's hope the championship games are. I agree, Butch, and that's why I would have voted yes if I voted in this poll. I did not. But I thought the season was competitive, too, and it didn't quite go down the way we thought it would. Although Wheeling Central won the state championship, they certainly didn't win it by any means that any of us could have predicted going into the season. But I agree. The season was competitive. The championship games were honestly a little bit more competitive than I thought they would be, especially in AAA throughout the first half of the game. AA proved to be a pretty good game, and the Class A game between Doddridge County and Wheeling Central was in question until later on in the contest. So Doddridge County had a chance in the second half and just weren't able to make it happen. So again, I want to thank Butch for writing that in. Ron McCurry says in the Class A, the competition was very close and made for a lot of interesting games. Also added he was rooting for Doddridge. Sorry that didn't go your way, Ron, but I agree. In Class A, it was a very close competition and you had teams that didn't make the playoffs in Parkersburg Catholic and Tyler Consolidated that I think could have won if you put them anywhere in the bottom half of that bracket, just about. So there was a plethora of good high school football talent and good high school football teams and competitive teams in Class A this season. So I agree with that, Ron. Thank you both for writing in, Butch and Ron. I think this season had lots of intrigue. It had some fresh storylines, some things we didn't quite expect coming into the season, and some things that didn't quite go as expected. And to be honest, look at that Class A title game. Look no further than that. People at the beginning of the year might have expected Wheeling Central to repeat as state champions, but the way they did it, with Curtis McGee going out with an injury, Jacob Ryan stepping in to play quarterback, and then throwing four touchdown passes in the championship game. That's not the way you had expected that. That's a team that almost got bounced in the first round. Williamstown has three losses in there, by the way. All three of them to the teams that met from the state championship game. Two to Doddridge County, one to Wheeling Central. They were a team that a lot of people pegged it to go to the island. They didn't make it there. Doddridge County went there instead, so they finally got it done and got to the next level. That's something that head coach Bobby Burnside would always have on his resume. Not that he needed legitimized as one of the area and the state's best head coaches, but certainly does put some legitimacy to what that program has done in the last couple of years that they have a state championship game appearance in there. So look at Class AAA, Parkersburg South, with a season that I think didn't quite go as everyone expected, and they went way better than everyone expected. And finally, a response from Tara Malone, who has just witnessed the Super 6 and just covered that for Metro News. I really enjoyed the Class A competition this season. We saw quite a few new teams that made it to the postseason for the first time in many years. I also enjoyed Class AA because it was very competitive. At one point in the middle of the season, you had five to six teams that were undefeated, which added to the excitement to see who would qualify for postseason play. Tara and I agree with that. We don't talk about AA a lot on this program because uh, we don't really have any teams in this area as we cover the Mid-Ohio Valley sports fall into that Class AA umbrella. But every time you looked over there, you're right. There were a few teams that could be contenders or could have been contenders deep into the season. Of course, Fairmont faded late. Bluefield and Bridgeport had the stage set for. It was a pretty good matchup in the Class AA game. But yeah, Class A was a fun competition this season. A lot of new teams involved. And the parity is nice to see in high school sports because these are communities that in many cases are working with what they have. You don't see a lot of outside influence coming in, so you have to rely on a new coach re-energizing teams or re-energizing programs and communities and teams and families buying into football. And that's really what it takes to win at the small school level. And you saw that in some cases this year and some places where you hadn't seen that before. So again, thank you for that one, Taryn. So many other stories from the area this season. So there were always fresh storylines and fresh faces 
voices that we weren't quite introduced to last year that stepped up and did big things. So for that reason, I think it was a good season, and so too did 78% of you. This is not the last episode of the season, but this will be our last poll question of the season. So I want to thank all of you for responding to this week's poll question and all poll questions in our 2019 episodes. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Let's check the mailbag for this week, and I have a bit of a serious one here. So this is not one that was posted anywhere publicly on social media, so this is something that's new to a lot of you if you're a regular follower of the Facebook page. And it was sent to me privately because of the sensitive nature of this question. It was also sent to me anonymously, so I'm not going to put the sender's name in there. I think you'll understand, and I believe that's probably where he would prefer that to be. As he told me, he was going to put the question on the Facebook page where I had topics solicited under the mailbag, but he didn't want to hurt individual kids through the discussion that might ensue. So the sender has selected to be discreet about that, and I certainly appreciate that. But it's a topic that definitely merits some discussion. This person writes, Do you believe race and or socioeconomic status affects playing time and position in West Virginia high school football? Do you believe race and or socioeconomic status affects playing time and position in West Virginia high school football? And the easy answer to that is I certainly hope it doesn't. I think that's something that very staff by staff, city by city, school by school. This is 2019, just about to be 2020. It's a shame in America we have to encounter questions of race and socioeconomic status and we can't be viewed on a more equal plane than we are already. But that's, I definitely think, a question that every coaching staff and every sport and every activity needs to take seriously and needs to weigh. I think in some places the answer to that's probably yes. It's a tough question for me as a white male, I grew up in an upper middle class household. I work in radio now, so I'm not upper middle class anymore, but that's a tough question for me to answer. Whereas I might want to jump in with a no, definitely not. That's what my heart wants to do, what my head tells me otherwise, because I know that the experience is probably not the same for those of different races or different economic classes than myself. I'm sure there are a lot of people, some are still in school, some that are not in school or might be recent graduates, that have been through athletic programs and schools within the last decade that probably would not answer that question in a way that we might hope. And they'll probably tell you that race does play a role in those things and socioeconomic status does play a role in those things. I'll separate the socioeconomic status part of this really quickly, although I do think they're both intertwined. I think it's no secret that those who are born into greater means have more opportunities. That's where coaches and schools and programs need to do a better job, and boosters for that matter, need to do a better job to level the playing field. I know there are some sports where you have to buy a lot of equipment going in and pay for a lot of gear going in, and that definitely separates those who can from those that can't. There's a lot of unsung heroes out there in sports that will help foot the costs and foot the bills and eat bills for those that cannot pay to play the sport they're looking to play, and that's always nice and commendable when that happens. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen all the time, and careers come to an end because kids are not able to afford to play sports, and that's really sad when that happens. But again, getting back to the race issue, I think every coach in every sport needs to ask themselves if their coaches on their coaching staff, everyone, if those people have the same values that they have. And I'm not talking about wins and losses. I'm talking about the kinds of values that you want to instill in young players and young people to make them better people and better adults. Sure, winning is important, but let's be honest, the vast majority of people that play any high school sport will not play 
play that sport beyond high school. So it may be one of the last times in life before these young people hit the real world that they're in a team setting and we can teach them things and use that team setting to shape their mentality on the world and their worldview. Because of that, and because it makes your message a lot stronger, you need to make sure that if you're out there and your goal is shaping better people, you need to make sure your coaches have the same values that you have. And I'm not talking about necessarily buying into the same religion or, or following the same faith or anything like that. You can come on to that in different ways. But I'm talking core tenets, respecting people of all ethnicities, respecting people of all backgrounds, respecting one another, respecting authorities, respecting their teachers, getting good grades, having good study habits. You need to make sure all of your assistants are on a level to understand what you want to instill and why that's important to you. And you certainly need to make sure all of your assistant coaches feel the same way you feel about social justice. Let's be honest. Locker rooms are full of diversity. They're full of racial diversity, economic diversity. Sexual orientation is going to be an emerging one. And if you don't think your kids have played with gay and lesbian teammates, well, I guarantee you this, you're wrong. You are. We need to accept that rather than bury your head in the sand about sexual orientation, regardless of whether or not that falls in line with your values, you need to accept that it's happening. But either way, those are all areas where you can encounter diversity, and those are all areas where you need to accept that people around you are going to be different than you. If you're high school football, here's another one that is the same thing. There are a lot of high school football teams where there are girls on the team. How those locker rooms embrace those young ladies, most of them are kickers, but how those locker rooms embrace those young ladies and how the coaches embrace those young ladies on the team, that says a lot about the character of that coaching staff, too. So there's a lot of diversity out there, and you need to make sure as a head coach that you your assistant coaches fall in line with how you believe in that. If that means laying that out as a mission statement or as a credo before the season and then saying to your assistant coaches, look, these are the things I believe in and I want our program to believe in. If you can't buy into this, then hit the highway, then do it. And I think most importantly, well, everyone wants to win and winning is important because you want an activity to be fun. I think winning is a way to make an activity fun. But at no cost do you need to have anybody on your staff that is racist, that is sexist, that does not fall in line with the social justice norms of 2020. It's not a Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative issue. It's a human issue. It's a humanity issue. It's being good to your fellow person. It's the deepest level of respect that you can show your peers. That's the message you need to be teaching in that locker room. What's ironic is we're taking on this question as it comes in context with football, but it might be the most difficult sport to consider because of the fact that there are so many different coaches involved and there's so many different voices that a head coach is listening to. Whereas in some sports, you might only have one, two assistants. In football, you normally have at least a half dozen other people in the room that's helping to shape your opinions on who plays, who doesn't play, who plays this position, who doesn't play this position. So while I'm not saying that race or socioeconomic status doesn't play a factor in those decisions, I'm saying that the rationale behind some of those decisions can get lost when there are so many different voices in the room. However, that's where as a head coach, you need to know your assistant coaches well enough to know why they're making the decisions that they're making and why they're making the recommendations that they're making in that discussion. What are their motives? What are they looking to gain? Or what are they looking to avoid happening when their opinions are as they are about an issue. So it's a nuanced discussion, maybe one of the more serious topics we've had on the show. I certainly want to thank the individual who asked that question. I hope I've done it justice on a lot of different levels. I think it's one that every coach at every 
sport ought to be asking themselves. Are we letting race and socioeconomic status influence our decisions? I mean, I know it's easy to get caught up on that as a stumbling point, and it might bog down progress, but at the same time, if you're not asking those questions, you may be letting something slip through the crack. And even though you might not be someone who makes decisions based on race or socioeconomic status, if one of your assistants is, then you're guilty by association with that individual. If you have people that aren't on your side of social justice issues, then you're guilty by association. As we learn with Jerry Sandusky, for instance, Joe Paterno's silence in that matter tarnished his reputation. So if a coach has somebody on his or her staff that does not fall in line with where their morals and their ethics should be and ought to be, then that ends up falling on them too and looking bad on them. So coaches need to make sure they're making their decisions based on the right reasons and using the right motives. At long last, here it is, the top five stories of the 2019 campaign. These are arranged in order, but you can agree, disagree, comment on these as you wish. Number five, Williamstown falls short of the Super 6. Of course, the Yellow Jackets had three losses this year. All of them were to teams in the Super 6, twice to Doddridge County and once to Wheeling Central to start the season. So they did not get that rematch with Wheeling Central they wanted because of the rematch with Doddridge County. They battled injuries this year. They found a new quarterback in Braden Modisett to start the season. He had a great season. I think what happens next with him is going to be an interesting development in 2020. Ty Moore stepped in mid-season after the injury to Jared Frazier and carried the mail for that Yellow Jackets team and had a terrific season and one that is going to get him some accolades around this area and deservedly so. But what happens next for Williamstown? Are they able to get things going? They should be in good shape going into next year. They'll have Frazier back and the cupboard is not bare. But as we said on last week's show, there have been persistent rumors all year long that this is the last year for head coach Terry Smith. And if so, then he leaves a tremendous legacy in his wake. It remains to be seen whether or not he's really done or whether he's going to come back and coach another year, but at least officially. But either way, just what a marvelous season for that program and for that team. They fell short on the quest for the Super 6, but they certainly played hard and made sure that if they were going to get beat, they were going to get beat by the best. Number four, Parkersburg Catholic and Tyler Consolidated don't get into the playoffs. They both have six win seasons. They both had some of the best skill players in the area. Tyler Consolidated with Mark Rucker, Parkersburg Catholic with Jeb Boyce. Those guys did different things. Boyce did everything for Parkersburg Catholic. He could throw, he could catch passes, he ran the ball. Mark Rucker primarily used to run the ball and used his receiver out of the backfield. But two quality teams unable to make the playoffs falling just out of that top 16. Teams that I think definitely could have made some noise if they managed to get in. I've said that a number of times, but it would have been really interesting to see them getting in. But two of the best players in the area and Rucker and Boyce not getting a go of it in the playoffs, that's one of the bigger shames, I think, of the season. I, I think we really missed out on seeing what they could have done in the postseason. That's the fourth biggest story of the year. Number three, Frontier and River. That rivalry and the programs both on the rise. River knocked off Frontier in the season finale to keep Frontier out of the playoffs. Despite a 7-3 and record, Russ Morris's squad didn't have the quality wins they needed to get into Ohio's top eight in Division 27. River finished their season with a 6-4 and record. Mike Flannery told me in August that it's next year's group that's going to be the group to watch for this team, though he thought he had a good group this year, too. They fell just short of the playoffs, but he really knows next year's group is something special. And Russ Morris likes what he's got coming back too, though they do have some key losses on both sides of the ball. He indicates that they should be good as well. So a seven-win season, something to build off of. Frontier will need to beef up that schedule if they're going to get into the playoffs because when you go seven and three, even in Ohio, and you don't have a playoff appearance, that says a lot about the quality of your schedule. They'll need to beef that up going into next season. To be honest, they need to look no further than right across the river to do it. If you're looking as far as the crow flies, St. Mary's and Frontier, those 
those schools are less than five miles apart. And if you take the bridge in St. Mary's, that's 15 minutes of a drive between St. Mary's High School and Frontier High School. Those are two schools that really ought to be playing. It fits in with what Frontier's been doing. They didn't have a trip or they didn't welcome a team from longer than an hour and a half away. Uh, They did a nice job to really regionalize that schedule and uh, emphasize the local rivalry and the regional rivalry. They need to continue to do that, but St. Mary's is a great place to look for that, and I think it would benefit St. Mary's schedule as well. So those two teams really ought to look into rekindling that matchup. But for River, as good as they were this year, all indications are they'll be better next year in Frontier. They might have to reload a little bit, but if they beef up that schedule, if they reload and the reinforcements are just as good, if not better, then that could be a fun battle to watch in 2020. The running backs in this area, that's a number two story. Look at all these guys. Jeb Boyce for Parkersburg Catholic, Ty Moore of Williamstown, Devin Gaines of Parkersburg South, Mark Rocker of Tyler Consolidated, Hunter America of Doddridge County, and the duo of Garrett Owens and Trey Moss at Ritchie County. I'm sure I'm leaving a couple people off of this list. St. Mary's had a stable of people. If any one of them had emerged, you could almost add them to this list. There was just a deep class of running backs, and maybe the deepest that I can remember in a long time in this area. Those guys were fun to watch all season long and fun to keep tabs on all season long, just to see how they would carry the mail and what they would do for their teams week in and week out. But 2019 in this area, definitely the year of the running back. No question about it. The top story in this area, Parkersburg South taking the next step under head coach Nathan Tanner. There were a lot of unknowns about Tanner coming in. He's just 30 years old. This is his seventh season of high school coaching experience. He took Summers County to the playoffs in all but his first year of a five-year stint down there. Had one of two years in Martinsville, Virginia, where he took that team to the playoffs. So for a young guy, he did have quite a bit of experience under his belt already before he came to the South Side. But he hadn't really coached at the big school level in West Virginia. Would he be ready for that? What kind of system would he bring? Would he be able to recruit the hallways? South was losing a lot. They lost Braden Mooney and Nick Yoho from last year's team. That was over 80% of their offense and a good amount of their defensive production as well. So what would they have left? And the answer was plenty. Brandon Penn came on and did Kennedy Award caliber things for this Parkersburg South team this year. He and Devin Gaines combined for over 60 touchdowns to lead a team that did better than a team that we already thought was explosive the year before. But the big thing that Nathan Tanner was able to do was to recruit the hallways. They needed to reload and get more athleticism. They needed more talent. They just needed to get more good athletes out to play football, and they did that. The defensive line bolstered by Jeffrey Tucker and Braxton Amos. The skill receiver positions bolstered by Landon Francisco and Jake Hogsett. Tucker, Hogsett, and Francisco from basketball. Amos from wrestling. And I think he's not going to be the last wrestler. And he got a hand it to the wrestlers for coming out, and I don't think Amos is going to be the last one. But a lot of those wrestlers are in line to get Division One scholarships. Amos is already going to Wisconsin. He's committed there. Braden Roberts from the wrestling team is going to wrestle for WVU collegiately. WVU already has South graduate hunted along on their team. Before all is said and done, there are probably going to be a few other wrestlers that end up going somewhere in wrestling Division One. However, I think we're going to see a continued pipeline from the wrestling program for guys that want to come out and play linebacker, play defensive line, maybe even some skill players. It's hard to tell. You might get a few athletic basketball types out to be those skill receivers. So there certainly are good things and improved relations from what I hear between those programs, and I think you'll continue to see that pipeline. But as I said on the last broadcast of the year, Tanner's going to have to go back and recruit those hallways because right now there's still a culture at South that the best athletes don't always come out for football, and until you get that from day one, you're going to have to go to those other athletes in other sports, know who they are, identify who the best athletes are in your school, and 
actively try to convince them to come out and play with you and play football with you and how they can help your team and the brotherhood that they can have. That'll be his next challenge at Parkersburg South, building on that because a lot of the guys they did get to come out, again, Amos most notably, those guys are seniors and you're going to lose them to graduation. So South will lose a lot to graduation next year. Make no mistake, Brandon Penn is gone. They'll need to replace him at quarterback. Dylan Day, Braxton Amos, Jeffrey Tucker, all guys that are poised to graduate who will step up for Parkersburg South and will Tanner be able to recruit the hallways? That is going to be the big issue going into 2020. But 11-2 and on this season and a trip to the state semifinals for the first time since your 2003 state championship season. That is the number one story in the area. Parkersburg South's emergence under Nathan Tanner, the confidence, the swag that program showed, and their ability to compete with the state's best. That makes that the top story in this area. As we've already said, this week was supposed to be the season finale, but there's so much to talk about that I decided to stretch it into next week. Here are the things that we already know we're going to talk about. I want to talk about the top five storylines going into 2020. We have another mailbag question I want to take on. Plus, Garrett Fur and I recorded a segment about something we'd like to see back at St. Mary's High School. Again, any other mailbag queries, let us know, and we'll get those on the show as well. Rate us and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to us there. Download us on iTunes and SoundCloud. And a big thank you for listening every week. And again, like that Facebook page as well. And uh, let us know if you have any mailbag questions, and I'll take those on on next week's show. For now, next week's show is slated to be our season finale, so stick with us for that. My name is Eric Little, the namesake of the show. Thank you for joining us once again, and we'll talk to you next week with another edition of the podcast. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening.